morning once again. Good to have you with us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're looking at verses 14 through 21. This is our life. There's an app for that teaching series. We're talking about being spirit-filled this morning. Title of this weekend's message, Spirit-Filled. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. Imagine, if you would, with me, please. Imagine having courage to face anything. No matter what comes your way, you have the courage to face it. Imagine, imagine having joy beyond circumstances. No matter what comes down in your life, you just have this buoyancy, this joy that keeps you plowing through all those difficulties, whatever might come your way. Imagine having edifying and healing relationships that when you interact with people that they feel edified and there's a healing that comes into their life as a result of their interaction with you. Imagine a, a perpetual song in your heart and a life abounding with thanksgiving and generosity. Sound too hard to be true? Too good to be true? Too hard to think about? Actually, that's the spirit-filled life. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. The spirit-filled life is the most amazing life you could ever hope or dream to live this side of heaven. And that's our topic for this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. And let's once again go before the throne of grace, our God. God, we are delighted to be here today. Father God, the highest heavens cannot contain you. And yet, because of your outrageous love for us, you sent your son Jesus to redeem us so that your Holy Spirit could fill us. And since the Spirit-filled life is the most amazing life we could ever hope or dream to live, we pray this morning that you would teach us what that means, what it looks like, and how we can be filled with your Holy Spirit. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Okay, let's take a look at this text. I'm going to read through it. Three questions we're looking at. What does it mean to be spirit-filled? What does it look like? In other words, what are the signs, the marks? And then we'll wrap it up by talking about how can I become spirit-filled. I'm going to begin reading in verse 14, chapter 5. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, we come to the, the text. I wanted to read the few verses before this, but this is kind of the, the key text. Let's read it together, in fact. You guys ready? Verse 18. Let's go. One, two, three. And do not get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So that's our key verse. And then he goes on and he explains what this looks like. What does it mean? What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? And he, he de defines that for us. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So the first question we're looking at, what does it mean to be Spirit-filled? It's interesting here that Paul would uh, make a comparison, a contrast 
with being drunk. He would make this contrast between being drunk and being filled with the Spirit. You guys find that somewhat interesting? Why would he do that? Have you ever asked that question? I certainly have. And, and I've actually had people teach it, uh, I think wrongly in some regards, that they would say that being uh, filled with the Spirit would be like being drunk. And I don't agree with that. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But I think it, it's because we get from the Spirit-filled life what people go to the bottle to get. And, uh, and I think also he's, he's, being, he's reminded, though he wasn't a part of it, he was still persecuting the church or he had, was persecuting the church when this all happened. And, uh, but in Acts chapter 2, you have the event where Jesus told his disciples, now keep in mind, Acts is, uh, is really the work and the power of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the church. Jesus is resurrected. He gathers his uh, group together, tells them, that he's leaving and uh, they need to wait in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit will come upon them. In fact, the key verse in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. In other words, my Holy Spirit will come upon you in such a way, it will be so powerful, it will so ravish your heart and life, you will be so uh, intoxicated by the Holy Spirit that you will go out into all the world and preach the gospel and you will be willing to do that even if it means your life, losing your life for that. That's what a witness means, martyr. And then you go over into chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the first followers of Christ. And the tendency for us, and I come from a Pentecostal background, where you kind of preoccupy on the phenomena, the supernatural, the tongues and the, and the other things, and it's easy to kind of get sidetracked. But the, but the most important aspect here is that uh, they were brave and happy declaring the mighty works of God. It says that in verse, verse 11 of Acts chapter 2. They were declaring the mighty works of God. So they, they got a glimpse of something that so stunned them and so ravished their heart that their life overflowed with the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is. They declared the mighty works of God. And of course it was in different languages and it was representing in the languages that were surrounding them so all the people that gathered could understand what they were saying so it was specific to those languages. But what was interesting, if you read on in chapter uh, 2, cha uh, chapter, Acts chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, and it says, all were amazed and perplexed, but others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Oh, they're drunk what some of them were saying. So, so I get the idea that possibly, you know, Paul is thinking of this event when the Holy Spirit came upon those first believers. He was not a part of that, but is familiar with it, familiar with, the, with what people were thinking. And, uh, and so he's kind of making this comparison and contrast. And so here's, here's the question. How are being spirit-filled and drunk, and I want you to discuss this with the folks sitting around you, how are they alike and how are they unalike? We're going to look at how, how is being drunk and being spirit-filled alike and unalike. Real quick, discuss it with the folks sitting around you, and then we'll, we'll give you the answers on your notes. See if you can come up with what the answers are there on your notes. Okay, is that, a, is that too hard of a question? You guys getting that? Okay, you, a lot of you are getting the answer to that. And so, the reason why... Uh, the reason why I wanted to kind of talk about that and kind of work through that, although I, I, I came, and I'll talk a little bit about my background, Pentecostal background, I was actually taught that, that you can have an experience with God that would almost kind of make you like you're drunk. 
Like you, you, could, you, could, you would stumble around and you, you'd have to be walked home and you wouldn't be able to drive because you were too intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not, I, I, I can't say that I've ever had that experience and I, wouldn't, uh, I don't necessarily think that that's what the Bible's teaching here. In fact, what you're going to see is something completely different. And in fact, uh, how are being spirit-filled and drunk alike? Here's the answer. Both make you courageous and happy. Okay? Anybody get that? Anybody close to that? Okay, as you're discussing. So they both make you courageous and happy. My wife and I, uh, I've never drank any alcohol in my whole life. I've, I've never been drunk, although I did, uh, I, I did get a little intoxicated by sucking down a whole bottle of nitrous oxide um, with two other paramedics at the end of paramedic training. And uh, the captain said, yeah, here, why don't you guys uh, just try this out and see what you think. And so, yeah, we'll try. And uh, nitrous oxide doesn't last. It's just you, you get it in your lungs and it's, pretty, it's gone pretty quick. But there was kind of a giddiness and a, kind of a craziness. And uh, I, I was more courageous and uh, happy for just a, two, for a few seconds because it doesn't last. But it's kind of interesting. And, and uh, I've gone to and been around people who have gotten drunk. And certainly they are courageous and happy. They, they'll tell you things that they otherwise would never tell you. And they're just happy-go-lucky, you know. They could have the world falling down on them, and, and at that moment, they no longer have that sense that it's falling in around them. And so that's kind of how they are alike. But how are they unalike? Here's the next, and this is where I want to kind of focus, is how are being spirit-filled and drunk unalike? Being drunk decreases your sense of reality. And let's talk about that. And then, well, we can go ahead and give the next fill in the blank. Being spirit-filled increases your sense of reality. So, and I think that's how they are uh, unalike. And so being drunk decreases your sense of reality. And there's a lot of ways of dulling your reality besides getting drunk. If you think about how we kind of cope with reality, you can use shopping, eating, overdose on TV, you can surround yourself with friends who medicate you through the denial of reality. I mean, let's just say uh, you, have a, you, you know someone that has gone through a terrible breakup, relational breakup, and so well-meaning friends come alongside of them and they, they, they maybe focus on their thoughts and say, hey, don't think negative thoughts, don't think negative thoughts, garbage in, garbage out. And, and I'm a proponent of not thinking of negative thoughts, but if you don't get any deeper than that, that's a form of uh, denying of reality. Or other well-meaning friends come along and say, hey, let's, uh, they want to focus on their emotions, and so they sympathize, and yet they don't take it any deeper than their emotions. Uh, what they're doing is actually validating their bitterness and reinforcing their self-pity, so it doesn't actually get to the root issues. It's a form of denial of reality. And then you have other friends that maybe come along, and, and they want to focus on the person's will by saying, uh, hey, just suck it up. There's more fish in the sea. You know, those, that kind of stuff. And that's a form of, uh, of denial, uh, denying reality. And it actually has to go much deeper than that. It has to go down to asking the question, and this is what the gospel does. The gospel will ask us the question, what is my functional Lord and Savior? And if I have substituted this relationship for my, as my functional Lord and Savior, then then the loss of it is not just going to make me sad, it's going to put me into despair. Because 
Because it is my meaning in life. It is my purpose. It is my functional Lord and Savior. So the gospel actually takes it much deeper. What are you living for? What's your purpose in life? It's, it better go much deeper than, than this relationship or any relationships. It better go to Christ and what he offers us. And, uh, and that's why it, we have to have this being spirit-filled increases your sense of reality. So this person that has been... Uh, has had this relational breakup, ought to be able to say, yes, this hurts, this is painful, but the God of the galaxies loves me and adores me and thinks the world of me, and I know I'm going to get through this, and I'm going to be a better person as a result of it, and I'm going to be able to help other people through their breakups and their difficulties because of that. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? See, that's the spirit-filled life. It's not some form of denial of reality, but it's, a, it's an increased reality that God is for you and not against you. I, I, and one of the reasons why I read the verses that preceded this verse, verse 18, did you notice what it says? If you still have your Bibles open, for anything that becomes visible is light... Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine. I believe that's he's talking about the spirit-filled life. And then he goes, he goes on and he says, uh, be very careful then. I'll quote it from the NIV. If you're studying from the NIV, this is ESV, what we read. But be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. See, that's the spirit-filled life. It's being wise about your life. It's being alert. It's, it's making every moment count. It's living according to God's word. And then he goes on and he says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Anybody know what that word means, debauchery? It's, it'd be like spilt, spilt milk, spilt water. It's just kind of, it's out of control, no restraint. It's not channeled. It's ineffective. Basically, it means just out of control. You're just going to live a life. It's lowered inhibitions. Obviously, when you're, when you're intoxicated with alcohol, you just have these lowered inhibitions. And you just kind of like, you know, that's why you're so courageous and so happy because you're not even thinking about reality. You're out of touch with reality, and therefore, you're not directing your life accordingly. Therefore, that's why he says, hey, be careful how you live. So debauchery is not being careful about how you live. You're not living according to God's will. You're not awake, O sleeper. Rise from the dead. There's, none of that is happening. You're just kind of dulled to what's going on around you. Things aren't going very well, so I'm just going to get loaded. He said, don't do that. Don't do that. Understand what Christ wants to do. Let, let your life be filled with the Holy Spirit so you have this increased capacity of the reality of God's presence in your life. And uh, I've got some uh, really good illustrations. If you have your Bibles, if you want to turn here, I'm going to just kind of highlight the story. But it's in the Old Testament, 2 Kings 6, 8 through 17, gives us a really a, a wonderful story. I'm just going to walk through it really quickly as uh, one of my illustrations here this morning of that. But it's uh, where we get the uh, horses, chariots of fire, that, that phrase, chariots of fire. It's Elisha. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 8, chapter 6 of Kings. Don't hesitate to take a look at that table of contents to find your way there. It's an Old Testament book. It might be kind of hard to find. It's, it's towards the uh, up front uh, in the Old Testament. 
With the prophet Elisha, there's some things that happened to him. But let me begin reading verse 8, chapter 6, 2 Kings. Once when the king of Syria, these are the enemies of Israel, he was warring against Israel. He took counsel with his servants saying, at such and such a place shall be my camp. So he's strategizing war against Israel. But the man of God, this is Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware that, that, you don't, that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are going down there. So, he's, so Elisha's forewarning about the king of Syria and his troops are going to entrap them or catch them. And so Elisha forewarns him and so he's able to avoid this trap. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him. That is, Elisha used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled. He's going, I I make all these war plans and how do these people figure this stuff out? How How would they know this? They seemed to avoid us and... And so he was troubled because of this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, he's saying, hey, there's a leak in my uh, administration here, and all of our strategies are being leaked out into, sound familiar? Um, You guys don't watch the news, do you? But uh, it's part of of what's happening with our current uh, uh, Obama's administration. There's been some leaks and he's saying, hey, there's no leaks here. And this is what this guy's saying. He's saying, hey, you know, there's something. Somebody's leaking out vital information of my strategizing. And uh, will you not show who of us is for the king of Israel? Somebody here is for the king of Israel. And one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So the uh, Elisha has insight into your life. That's why God, he's in touch with God. And he said, go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army and they came by night and surrounded the city. So here's these, all these horses and chariots surrounding the city where Elisha is, and so that would be really frightening, but look at verse 15. When the servant of the man of God, so this Elisha has a servant, he rose early in the morning and went out, and behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He's freaking out. I mean, he's like, what? Check this out. This is awesome. I mean, this is really good. He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. (laughs) I love it. I can't help but think that there's a number of you that need to hear that this morning. I mean, you're facing all sorts of obstacles. You're going, oh my goodness. You're freaking out like the servant of the the Lord, uh, the servant of this, uh, what did he call him, man of God. Uh, and he was just like, he saw all these enemy forces, and, he's just, and he says, hey, wait, wait, wait. If God is for us, who can be against us? So here's my word for you this morning. No matter what you're facing, no matter what the odds are, if God is for you, who can be against you? 
See, but you got to be able to see that, and that's what he takes him. So this is what, then Elisha prayed, and so this is where he's praying. Pray, he prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So that's the spirit-filled life. It's, that when, it's one thing to know that God is for you and not against you, but it's another thing when you begin to see. When you begin to see, in fact, this is what he said, so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That's where we get that, that title of that movie, Chariots of Fire. And that's uh, it's right there. Isn't that phenomenal? So what are you facing? What are you up against? I mean, do you, you know, you probably know the verse. It's, it's found in Romans 8, 31 and 32. If God is for me, who can be against me? But it's one thing to say, it's another thing to actually see it and to be seized by it. See, that's a spirit-filled life. Is it so it would so get a hold of your heart that there is no trial that would overwhelm you and no temptation would seduce you because you're beginning to see Christ more clearly. He's more vivid to you than, than ever before. By the way, uh, what's the work of the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit's job in our life? Are you guys familiar with that? Remember what Jesus said the work of the Holy Spirit was, was to be when he was in the upper room with his disciples. Listen to what he says. I'll just give you a little edited version of it. John 16, 13 through 15. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, so he's going to magnify Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you, all that the Father has in mind. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare to you. Now, this is what's interesting. I, coming from a Pentecostal background, in some circles, not all of them, there was a preoccupation with the Holy Spirit. It seems to me that the Holy Spirit isn't shining his light on himself, so you're not going to be focused on the Holy Spirit. But if, if you're in tune with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be more focused on who? Jesus, yeah. So Christ is going to be glorified. He, he's going to become more vivid to your life. By the way, uh, Nancy and I, we just got back from a vacation and we were in San Diego and, and these condos where we hang out is that there's this light, this bright spotlight after the sun sets this bright spotlight from the condos that shine out onto the ocean. It's really beautiful. And you can see, you know, the, the white water of the, of the waves. It just it's kind of almost illuminates. It's really beautiful to watch the waves come in. But if you try to look up at the light, it's blinding. You can't really even see where the light is. But you can look and see what the light is shining on. And the light's not shining on us. The Holy Spirit doesn't shine on us in the sense that makes making much of us. But you can tell when the Holy Spirit is working because the Holy Spirit is making much of Jesus. And Jesus is becoming more real and more vivid to you and more attractive to you than ever, ever before. See, that's that, that increased, being spirit-filled increases your sense of reality. The spirit-filled life is not a, a decreased awareness of problems, but an increased awareness of God's presence enabling you to, to face anything because if God is for you, who can be against you? You begin to see all that Jesus Christ did. By the way, the rest of those verses... Uh, 
Romans 8, 31 and 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? What's it, what is he talking about there? What Jesus did for us on the cross. If he took care of our worst problem, won't he take care of all of our other problems, our lesser problems? Absolutely. So that's why Christ needs to become more real to us. So what does it look like to be spirit-filled? Um, let's, let's go through some characteristics here. And, and I, I absolutely love my Pentecostal background. My, uh, I, I believe I have a sensitivity to the, to the work and the power of the Holy Spirit that otherwise I wouldn't have. And they, they help me to really get in touch with the work and the power of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. But I have to admit, too, that there were some pretty crazy things that happened. And uh, there was a time when I remember as a little boy sitting in service and having my grandmother in the middle of the service, I don't know why she did this, but they all told me that it was the Holy Spirit, that she would just let out this blood-curdling scream right in the middle of the service. Whoa! And when they pulled me out from under the pew, about wet my pants as a little boy, they would say, well, I would say, what was that? What was that? That was the Holy Spirit. And I'm thinking... Oh my goodness, I'm not sure I want to have anything to do with him. And um, I even had a, uh, a Sunday school teacher that tried to describe some of, and, and, and to be quite honest with you, certainly there are some interesting things that can happen. You come into the very presence of God, you're going to freak out, okay? There's going to be some bizarre things happen in your life, there's no doubt about it. But we want to stay with what the scripture says because a lot of times I've heard people say, well, that's the Holy Spirit, when in reality it was just that person. Or it was something that was part of this sociological form of man- manipulation. And I don't want any of that. I want to have an increased awareness of the presence of God through the work and person of Jesus Christ. That he becomes so real to me. Man, I can face anything. And I'm not tempted by anything. I'm not drawn astray to anything. Man, I just want to live for him and for his glory. But uh, I had a Sunday school teacher say, uh, to try to describe the different experiences that people were having, he said, son, it's like uh, sticking your finger in a light socket. And everybody's going to respond a little bit differently. One person's going to go, oh, another person's going to cry, and another person's going to, you know, and they went through this. And I started thinking as I walked away, I said, well, why would you ever stick your finger in a light socket? That doesn't make any sense. And and I understand, and, and, and let me just say this, just for the record, I believe in the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe in all the gifts. I believe all the gifts are for today. I, I pray in the Spirit. I pray in tongues. That's part of my, one of the gifts that God has given me. And I love that aspect of my prayer life with God, my interaction with Him. I know some of you might freak you out a little bit. Others know it completely, know what I'm talking about. But it's awesome. It's a part of that. I believe in all of the gifts of the Spirit. I believe, more importantly, the fruit of the Spirit. Gifts really speak more of ministry and the fruit speaks more of maturity. But you need to have both of those happening, uh, certainly in your life. And I know that through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit, I can't even do what I do up here on a regular basis on a Sunday morning without the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. Those crazy lights, just ignore them. I'll try to ignore them too. But they have some kind of a problem in here other than it could be the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in here. Probably not, okay? It's probably just they've got some electrical problems back there. Not, so anyway, I'll stop there. Um, and so I put those on your notes. I actually put down the gifts. You can look up and study the gifts. And you can also study the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
And I'm, I'm convinced believers who live supernatural lives in the power of the Holy Spirit can't help but be different and the world can't help but notice. So let me, let's go through just four real quick of these characteristics I believe that are in this text. They're found in, in verses 19 through 21. I think that there's going to be an interaction with others that is edifying and healing. We see that in verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, there could be a case made, and I've heard this taught before, that the spiritual songs could be speaking in tongues. And I'm cool with that. But they could be, just you're just moved by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit gives you specific words that people understand that's specific to their needs. But more than anything, I'm convinced that if you're spirit-filled and I interact with you, I ought to walk away feeling edified in God and maybe a little bit of salve put on my wounds spiritually, that, I'm, that there's something that begins to take place in our interaction, that there's a healing that begins to take place in my life as a result of that. I believe that's what he's talking about there. He's saying addressing one another, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. He's talking about that as a result of the spirit-filled life. An interaction with others that is edifying and healing. I like what C.S. Lewis said. He said, surely what a man does when he is taken off his guard is the best evidence for what sort of man he is. So I, I shared that with you because I don't think that what I'm talking about here, I think it's just the overflow of your life. I don't think it's some kind of pretense that, oh, we've got to be on our best behavior because we're going to hang out with our friends or you know, we've got to make sure that everything's in order and we, we make sure that we do all these things. I think that, man, when you're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, that the reality of God, God is more real to you than anything else, your life's going to overflow. You're going to think about that person and wanting to build them up and stir up greater appetite within them for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, their interaction with you will be healing, not hurtful. And I think that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's the next one. A song in your heart from the delight of living in God's presence. That's from verse 19. He says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. See, this is a person who is not talking about God, but communicating with God, making melody, notice what it says, to the Lord with your heart, heart speaking of this, you treasure him, you treasure a God above anything else, so it is, it is to live in the presence of God with such delight that there is a song in your heart, in fact, if you were a songwriter, you would put it into a song. But there is such delight in your heart from living in the presence of God that you, you make melody to the Lord. You're just interacting with him. That's what he's talking about there. That's wonderful. Number three. This gets harder. This next one's really hard. A life of thanksgiving always in everything. This is the, this really, this is the epitome of contentment, I believe, and we get it from verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything. Let me ask you this. Everybody look up here just for a minute. You have a hard time doing that? I do. Always? For everything? You've got to be kidding. I mean, that's, what, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. I'm like, I wasn't too happy this last week. I wasn't, had too much Thanksgiving going on. 
He's saying giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. Notice this, to God the Father. But here's the key. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word name is character. So how do you do that? Here's how you do it. And it's it's taken me a long time to learn this. Everybody look up here. You've got to get this. You have to trust his loving, wise control of your life. I know bad things have happened. Bad things happened to me. They have. But I've got to believe that he is perfect in love, infinite in wisdom, and unlimited in power. And that everything that comes into my life is Father filtered. It's not that he's the cause of it, but, then, but that he can take those things and work them for my good and his glory. And I've got to believe that. I've got to trust that. I've got to begin to work that deep into my heart. In fact, here's a quote I got from Timothy Keller here uh, this last week. And it, it, it was very convicting. And it was also freeing at the same time. This is what he said. Worry... So the opposite of thanksgiving would be worry. Worry is not believing God will get it right. Bitterness is believing God got it wrong. Do you guys follow that? Let me say it again. Worry is not believing God will get it right. The reason why we worry is we're just, man, we're freaked out because we're afraid that God's not going to get this right. And I don't like the way it's going, and I'm not sure that he's really in control. I'm, see, I'm, I'm not believing his loving, wise control of my life. And then bitterness, as I look back on those events, is due to the fact that I think that God just really messed up. God's will for your life is what you would choose if you knew everything God knew. You don't know everything God knows, and so you should surrender to his will, and you trust his loving, wise control of your life. And that's how you can become thanksgiving. You can have thanksgiving, a life of thanksgiving to God always in everything. That's the epitome of, uh, of contentment. You're just resting in him. God, I know this looks really bad, but I know that you're working right in the midst of all this bad stuff. See, here's what the spirit-filled life is. Spirit-filled life is, is like the stars on the sky that get brighter as the sky gets darker and darker. And so regardless of the circumstances, the darker the circumstances, the brighter and the more relevant Christ becomes to us and he becomes more real to us in the midst of those difficult situations. That's what he's talking about here. So that's why I can thank him because I know that Christ in the midst of difficulties, and if I were to do a survey this morning, I'll guarantee you that most people would say, yeah, I experienced God best in the worst of times. That's when he became more real to me that has helped me in other bad times. Show of hands, how many would actually say that? Yeah. You know, almost every one of us. And so, a life of thanksgiving to God always in everything. Here's the last one of these four. There's many more. A pouring of your life out in service to others. Verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for for Christ. So what should, what should motivate our lives? Uh, baby dedication, Kevin and Wendy. I, I, I know their lives. I've, I've seen them. They've hung out with us for a long time. I know that their hearts are ravished by Jesus. Why would they do this crazy thing? Because they love Jesus and they love these kids. And it's this. It's, this. it's right here, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Jesus emptied himself the cross. He emptied himself on the cross so that I could be full, spirit-filled. Therefore, out of that fullness, 
I can empty myself so that others may be full in Christ. See, the Spirit-filled people are less self-focused consumers and more self-sacrificing servants attuned to the Holy Spirit. That's what, that, what it's saying. So if you're spirit-filled, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, your heart is so ravished by his outrageous love, you can't help but want to touch other people's lives. See, that's the gospel. That's the love of Jesus. So here's the last question. How can I become spirit-filled? Well, first of all, you need to commit your life to Jesus. You give your life to him. And you do that by acknowledging your sin Believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin and then confessing him as Lord and Savior. Just turn your life over to him. Give him your life. Your sin separates you from God. And Jesus died on the cross for all of your sins. This is what's totally amazing and separates Christianity from all other major religions. Is that, that when you put your faith in Jesus, you stand before God perfect and sinless. Positionally, but not practically, but that, that as you walk with him, he begins to make you what he sees you as positionally. He makes you practically what he sees you as positionally. And that's called sanctification. The first is justification. I'm completely just before him. That's amazing. It's by faith in Jesus, in what he did, his finished work on the cross. And so as that gets a hold of your heart, the more it gets a hold of your heart, the more it transforms your life. That would be the first thing. But as I read through this, there's no steps. It isn't passive, something that happens to you. And I was raised in a background where we would pray all night waiting for the Holy Spirit. How how many are familiar with the word tarry? Tarry? We would tarry. We would tarry. And then we would fake like we were baptized in the Holy Spirit so we could go home because it was like one o'clock in the morning. And uh, now people like me did stuff like that, but uh, not everybody did that. But, uh, but we would tarry, but it doesn't say that. He commands it, it's commanded. Be filled with the Spirit. Nor is it active, so it's not passive, nor is it really active because, you know, so passive means something that happens to me. Active means something that I can make happen. Well, there's no steps that are given. He just says, he just commands it. Here's what I believe it is. Three, three ideas here. It is not how much of the Holy Spirit you have, but how much the Holy Spirit has you. The word drunk, verse 18, means intoxicated, soaked, saturated, dominated by. And if you think about alcohol, different people can drink certain amounts of alcohol without being drunk. So in alcohol, it's not how much alcohol you have, but how much alcohol has you. Is that true? When I was on the fire department, we'd run on a lot of calls where people were drunk, and typically we'd ask, so how many did you have? And it was always two. (laughs) Two. It's like, well, maybe it was two, but I doubt it, okay? And it was usually two cases or two, you know, something way beyond just the two that they had. So it was really kind of interesting, but some people can only drink two, and they're intoxicated. Others can drink two cases and maybe not be as intoxicated. But, but that's what it is when it comes to the Holy Spirit. How much does the Holy Spirit have you? The Holy Spirit seems to be most active where people are most desperate for him. Humbled before him and not distracted from him by all the wealth, comfort, and trinkets in this world. There's a couple verses here. Let me read them. And I don't have time to really expound on them, but... 
but Romans 8, uh, 5 through 6 kind of helps us to understand a little bit more of this spirit-filled life. It says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, so he's actually really talking about, when you look at the context, he's talking about the Spirit-filled life. Set their minds on the things of the Spirit, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And I would encourage you to look up at the other verses that I put on the, on the notes to kind of go over that. Uh, Galatians five sixteen through 17 talk about walking in the Spirit, living a Spirit-filled life. But what are the desires of the flesh? What does that mean, to walk in the flesh? I believe it's a self-salvation project. It, it means this, that all of your thoughts, feelings, and actions, the core of your being and your heart is controlled by your effort to be your own Savior and Lord. How do I know what is the desire of my flesh? Well, you answer these questions. What preoccupies you? What engrosses you the most? What is your heart most captivated by? What are your dreams? What has captured your imagination? Whatever it is, it's your way of justifying yourself, your way of developing your own sense of value and worth. We just kicked off, uh, Friday was the kickoff of my, my favorite sporting event, and it's the uh, summer games. Anybody like the summer games? Anybody watching the summer games? It's a lot of fun. And did you guys, how many watched the opening ceremony? It's pretty cool. Did you notice the video clip that they used from the movie? Anybody? Chariots of Fire? And in that, they superimposed the Mr. Bean. You guys notice that? It's really quite interesting. It's uh, the British comedian Rowan Atkinson. And in that, the movie Chariots of Fire is a, is a really a true story. It's a film. It's a British film back in 1981. Uh, won a lot of awards. You know it's one of my favorites because every year you hear me talk about it. But it tells the fact-based story of two athletes in the 1924 Olympics. Eric Little, who was a devout Scottish Christian. And, and then there was, it was a kind of this contrast between him and this Harold Abrahams, an English Jew who... Uh, who's really, uh, his heart is in, engrossed in, in winning. In fact, there's a scene in the movie, it's really quite interesting. If you ever get a chance to watch the movie, especially with the Olympics on, it's really an interesting, great movie. But in the movie, he's getting ready to run the 100-yard dash, and his trainer is with him, kind of rubbing him down and working on him, and he says these very profound statement. He says, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. Also in the movie, this Eric Little, who's a Christian, he's telling his sister, uh, he, he makes a statement, it's also very profound, he makes a statement, he says that God has made me fast. Because he's saying, why do you want to run? Because he was a missionary to China, and he later on dies in the China prison uh, camps as a missionary. But why do you want to run? And this is what he says to his sister, God has made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. So you got two guys. you got this Harold Abrahams who's running to be his own savior for his own glory. And you got uh, Eric Little who's running to praise his savior. Well, I say all that to say the desires of the flesh represent living a life in such a way for your own glory. It can be your kids and how they turn out. It can be your job. It can be, you know, getting married. This guy that I talked about earlier that had the big breakup, 
there was something inside of him, and he was so devastated because there was something inside of him. Unless I'm married, that's my sense of value. Unless I'm married. Rather than to get married out of a fullness, he was getting married out of a deficit. He was getting married to be his own savior. His, his spouse was his savior. As opposed to someone who would get married to put on display the glory of God. You guys tracking with me? So the spirit-filled life... And there's other verses there, as I, as I said. Let me give you the last fill in the blank. So it is not how much of the Holy Spirit you have, but how much the Holy Spirit has you. Once you've tasted of his greatness and goodness, you'll do whatever it takes to be intoxicated with more of him. So belief, belief in God is more than an agreement with facts in the head. It's an appetite for God in the heart that is all-consuming. Every encounter with God only causes you to want him more. So spirit-filled life is to want him and to live your life for him. And so that's why Eric Little, whether he, he succeeded or failed, it was all a platform to display the glory of God rather than to try to gain his own sense of identity through his performance. Last point on the notes. People intoxicated with the greatness and goodness of Christ are willing to risk everything for him and in doing so, experience more of him. So what does that mean? That means that the more you, you encounter him, the more you want him, and the more you want him, the more you're willing to sacrifice everything for him. And the more you sacrifice everything for him, the more you get off the bench and you get into the game, the more you're going to experience the presence and the power of God in your life. I'm going to invite these guys up. They're going to lead us in a song. And I think that as you think about that, do you have that kind of appetite for God? This is one of my favorite songs they're going to sing. My soul longs for you. If you have that longing in your heart and you cry out to God, I will guarantee you, you live your life out of that and you let him fill you up. You make him the passion of your life and, and, and the reason why you do what you do to put him on display out of that fullness, that's the spirit-filled life. You pray that God would reveal himself to you, that you would long for him and want him more than anything else. Would you stand with us? And that's my prayer for you this morning. So God, this morning as we sing this song, as we think about these words that we've just studied, that's not, it's not how much the Holy Spirit, how much of the Holy Spirit that, that we have, but how much he has us. And that when we are intoxicated by the Holy Spirit, it's that we want him more than anything that his glory is more important to us than, than our own glory. And that, God, as we begin to take those risks out of the fullness that you have given us, God, we know that we will experience more and more of your presence in our life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good stuff. Good stuff. So, Ephesians 5.18. Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery but be filled with the Spirit in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you.